This is what God's word says to us. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the, end, in the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness that will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is left in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Father, as we sang this morning when we lifted our voices. We, we sang about these days we live in, uh, days of great trial and yet great days of, of great glory. Uh, on one hand, we can see evil and wickedness throughout the world. We can see wicked, evil things. And yet on the other hand, Father, we can see some glorious things. We just witnessed in this video some glorious things and, and seeing youth and adults from our church and churches throughout our state who were serving in your name, proclaiming your name to that community. Father, we live in that tension between these two things, so help us to better understand it. Help us to understand this text, one that there are many interpretations of. Father, help us to see the big picture this morning. And Father, we pray that you would do a work in our lives as we seek to understand your word. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. 
if you were to go to perhaps a, a major metropolitan city, uh, you may see someone standing there on a corner with a sandwich board on that says, uh, the end is near. Uh, you may see someone who has another one on that says, these are the last days. Perhaps you've seen that in photographs, you've seen it in movies, maybe you like I have even seen someone like that in person. And uh, my first inclination when I see that is to think, well, I wonder what they're saying. Uh, I wonder if they're saying they think the world's going to end tomorrow. I wonder what doomsday prediction they have. But then when I stop and think about it more, my next inclination is to go over and shake their hand and say, well, I agree. Uh, I do believe we are living in the last days. I, I do believe the end is near. And yet when I say that, I say it in the context of what the Scripture this morning says to us. Uh, I believe that the disciples, when they gathered around Jesus on the Mount of Olives, that they too were living in the last days. I believe they too were experiencing the end is near. In fact, as you read the Scripture and all of salvation histories, you find this reference. Uh, you find the reference to the days of Christ on to our days now until the very last day, a day we don't know when it will come. You, you find those referred to as the last days. Uh, take the book of Hebrews, for example. The writer of Hebrews says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And we see that reference in 2 Peter 3. And there specifically we see just this notion of the last days will come to a point where people actually mock it. Where people actually mock the idea that Jesus may indeed return. And the disciples saw that in their day and we certainly see that in our day today. Uh, you have had an experience just in this last year, false prophets, false predictions about the end. We have some who are making those predictions according to the Mayan calendar that in December that everything's going to end. And on one hand, we are supposed to be discerning about those things in light of what the Scripture says. We don't know the day or the hour. But on the other hand, we need not go to the side that the Scripture warns us about to be like those who mock the very idea. Because it says in Second Peter Chapter 3, in response to those who mock it, that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. The whole point, a thief in the night. Uh, the whole point is we don't know the day or the hour. And, and that will become evident as we study this chapter in the next. So the question for us this morning then is what can we know? What questions should we ask? What questions did the disciples ask? Are they those, those questions we have as well? And how did Christ respond to them? Well, that's what we're going to look at this Lord's Day. And we're going to start in this understanding that, that we indeed, they indeed were in the last days. And Jesus tells us that these last days first will be marked by tribulation. You notice here what's taking place, the context. At the end of chapter 23, we looked at this last Lord's Day. Uh, Jesus gives his last public discourse to the Pharisees and the scribes. And you may be remembering, you may remember the end of Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He's given these woes to the Pharisees and scribes. And at the end of those woes, He laments over Jerusalem. And specifically in that lament, verse 38, chapter 23, He says, Your house is left to you desolate. He is making a reference there to the temple. He's saying the temple is going to be desolate. He's saying to the ears who understand, the temple is going to be destroyed. And then right after that, he says, verse 39, 
But I tell you, you'll not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's speaking of his return. And so here, the disciples have taken in this information. He's just given these woes to the scribes and Pharisees. He said that the temple's going to be destroyed. He said that the end is going to come. And so they've got a lot of questions about those things, as you may imagine. So we pick up in chapter 24 and notice what takes place. Jesus leaves the temple. Now, we could talk a lot just about that. You know, the temple was where people came to commune with God. It's where they came to have right fellowship with God. They came seeking God, and now you have God in flesh, the Messiah, Jesus, there in the temple teaching, and what has happened? They have rejected Him. And so He leaves. And I think that is symbolic of what God is doing here. He is removing His presence from the temple. He is saying it will be destroyed. It has served its purpose. And as He leaves, notice what the disciples do. The disciples start to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. Now why are they doing this? Well, they could have different motives, but I think chances are this is directly connected to what Jesus had just done. He had just said, this house is going to be desolate. Now think about that for the disciples. The temple in the day of Jesus was the most magnificent building that the disciples had ever seen. Now this is where the Spirit of God dwelled. This was an overwhelming thing just to take in and look around and see. I remember in my own life as a college student, the first time I got to go on a mission trip, I went to Eastern Europe, and while in Eastern Europe we had a chance to go to a number of places. One of them was Vienna, Austria. And I remember as a student in Vienna, Austria, walking into St. Stephen's Cathedral. St. Stephen's is not the largest cathedral in the world. It's not the most magnificent building in the world. But to me at that time, it was the biggest place like that I'd ever been in. And I remember just looking around and marveling at it. Uh, almost a thousand years old, uh, had survived World War II, these, these bricks and stones that were literally carved out by hand and placed and stacked and stacked and went up as far as the eye could see. I remember just looking at it thinking, this is an amazing building. I, I think that's part of what the disciples are experiencing. They're in the temple, they're looking around at all its magnificence, all its glory. It was to reflect the glory of their God, and yet Jesus is sitting here saying, this is going to be desolate. And so the disciples, they're pointing out to Jesus, this, this, you're talking about this Jesus? And notice how Jesus responds to that. He says, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he doesn't just say it's going to be gutted. <laughs> he doesn't just say it's going to be uh, in some way messed up to an extent. He says it's going to be completely leveled. And so the question then for the disciples is, Help us to understand this. And that's exactly what they ask. They go to the Mount of Olives, away from the temple, a place where sitting on the Mount of Olives, they'd be able to look at it at Jerusalem, they'd be able to look to the temple, and the disciples ask two specific questions, I think in reference to what's just taken place. They ask first, when will these things be? Now what are these things? There are various interpretations, but what I believe the Scripture is teaching us here is they're talking directly about what he just talked about. That, that makes the most sense in the course of the conversation. So the disciples, they've heard Jesus predict, okay, the temple's going to be destroyed, and so they're saying, well, when's that going to happen? But they've also connected it with his return. Remember, he said it's going to be left desolate and that he's going to return. And so they ask then, when's that going to happen and when's going to be the end of the age? And that's what Jesus then unpacked 
facts and answers for them. I believe first by answering the second question. When will be the end of the age? What will that time be like? And he goes through and tells them a number of things about that time. He says that there's going to be great tribulation during that time. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Now again... If we are to interpret this and take this as these are the last days and we are in the last days, this whole reference of time is the last days, is that a true statement? And certainly it is. We, just in the last century, have experienced two world wars. Uh, It seems like you don't go long before you pick up the paper, turn on the news, there's threats of war in another nation. Jesus says, don't be alarmed, this is going to happen. Not only that, he says, we'll have tribulation in the form of nation, rising against nation. Oftentimes, that's what leads to the wars we see. And he says there'll be famines and earthquakes. Again, those things took place during the days of the disciples, and we see them happening in our world today. Uh, Just a year ago, think about the earthquake that was in Japan. 15,000, 16,000 people lost their lives. Three or 4,000 more they never found. 20,000 people just are gone in the blink of an eye. Jesus said these things will happen. And he doesn't just say there's going to be these events in the world. He says specifically for Christians, there's going to be great tribulation. He says that Christians will be martyred. They will be killed. And they'll be hated, not just by a few, but by all the nations. I've addressed this before. If you look at those statistics, they're alarming. We, we don't have exact records of how many people die for the gospel every year. There's many places in the world where they're, they're not just publicizing that. They're not just presenting that. And yet those who study these things tell us that anywhere between 150,000 to 200,000 people die for the gospel in our world every year. The number's rising. Uh, more people will likely die in this year than in any other year in our past. Jesus said these things would take place. He says in addition to that, people will fall away and hate one another. I'm glad we don't experience that in the church today. Everybody gets along. <laughs> no. We, we have people, not just that leave the church, they, they walk away from the faith. We have people who literally speak with hatred towards those people of God that they they used to seemingly be a part of. You go down this list and it doesn't take long to see where we see these things in our day. We have seen these things even in the disciples' day. Jesus is saying we will continue to see these things. There will be great tribulation. Now this should serve as an encouragement. And you may say, well, why is it encouraging (laughs) that we're going to face hard times? Because when we face those hard times, we can rest in the knowledge that God is sovereign over them. And we can rest in the understanding that these aren't things that just kind of popped up on the radar. We can rest in the understanding that all of this takes place within the sovereign plan and will of God who told us when the disciples asked, when's going to be the end of the age? He said, there's going to be great tribulation. But notice what he also says with it. He says that these things are just the beginning. He says that these things don't mean that the end's around the corner. That means that we can't pick up the newspaper and say, well, look at all this tribulation. I bet the world's going to end tomorrow. We don't know that. Jesus says specifically in verse 6, the end is not yet, verse 8, but these are the beginning of the birth pains. 
Jesus tells us very specifically as we go through this chapter, and we'll get to this in coming weeks, that concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. See, our time is not to be spent trying to figure out these things and map them out and chart them out. Our time is to be spent understanding, one, Christ said tribulation is going to come, and two, he tells us exactly how to respond when it does. Look back, for example, to verse 6. Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But notice what he says right after that. So, see to it that you are not alarmed. Now, Christian, do you see what he's saying there? Christ is saying all this stuff's going to happen. There's going to be great uh, crisis. There's going to be great tribulation. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Think about what it would be like this Lord's Day if our world were to enter into World War III. Think about what it would be like today if, if your children were being drafted today into the war. Think about what it would be like if it was like in the days of World War I and World War II. People would be very anxious. People would be very worried. Think about where we just sit in our world today. We know that at any moment, with the push of a button, nuclear missiles could begin to fly. We know that millions, billions of people could be wiped off the face of the earth. But knowing that, what does Jesus tell us to do? Does he say, be worried? Does he say, be anxious? No, he says, do not be alarmed. And Christian, I think that so often we we fail to obey Christ in this way. So often when there's a crisis, and I'm not even talking about a war, (laughs) I'm talking about the threat of a possible bad diagnosis at the doctor's office. I'm talking about the threat of maybe my job's not going to work out. It seems that sometimes we're the first ones, believers, to just get so anxious and overwhelmed and worried. And yet, what does Christ say to us? He says, expect to lose the job. He says, expect to lose a life. He says, expect the doctor's report to be bad. But don't worry. Don't be alarmed. Why is it he says that? Well, it's because he tells us in this text that not only are the last days going to be marked by tribulation, he tells us that the last days are going to be marked by great triumph. He tells us that in the midst of pain and suffering and and all these things happening, people being hated for the sake of the gospel, people losing their lives for the sake of the gospel, notice what he says. He says he will be victorious. And he says that I believe in two ways, verse 13 and verse 14. First, he says it in the life of the believer that, that salvation, the gospel in your life and in my life, is going to be victorious. It's going to triumph. Verse 13, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now think about that for a moment. Who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to a group of men who for the most part are going to face and experience exactly what he has just talked about. They're not looking ahead to a day when maybe this is going to happen. They're not looking around thinking, well, I hope it doesn't get any worse. They, in their lifetime, are going to be hated by the nations for the sake of the gospel. They, in their lifetime, are going to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet, what does Jesus say to them, and what does he say to us? 
those who endure to the end will be saved. This should be a great comfort to us. I don't think Jesus is saying here, and I don't think it's consistent with other things Jesus says, that he's saying, well, if you try really hard, you know, if you just really stand up for your faith in the midst of difficulty, then you're just going to squeeze right through. I think Jesus here is giving a great assurance to those who are his elect. He's giving a great assurance to those who are part of the body of Christ. He's saying, listen, in the midst of these things, endure. In the midst of these things, persevere. Because you know what's coming? Glory. You who can't remember the last day that you didn't feel pain. Who can't remember the last time it was good news from the doctor. Endure. Persevere. Because glory is coming. You who feels like day after day after day, you just wish there was one piece of good news in the midst of so much bad news. What does Christ say? Endure. And for those of us who may find ourselves one day facing the decision, do I stand for my faith and experience ridicule, job loss, perhaps for some of us, death? Stand. Why? Because he who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus here is saying, no matter what war, no matter what disease, no matter what it is, my people will be saved. And not just that. He speaks of the triumph of the Great Commission. He speaks of the triumph of the global proclamation of the gospel. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What is Jesus saying here? Again, I don't think that Jesus is saying, here's how you can predict the end. You know, the, the, once the last of the seven billion people receives that gospel tract, then Jesus is coming back and then we predict the end. No, I think what Jesus again is saying here is in the midst of great tribulation, there's going to be great triumph. And he and his will and his plan will not be thwarted. The gospel will indeed go to the nations. So notice what's taking place here. Jesus is saying on one hand, there's going to be great tribulation. There's going to be tribulation to the extent that you and I as believers, we can tend to get discouraged. We can tend to think, how much worse can it get? We can tend to think, this is awful. We can tend to wonder, God, where are you? And yet God tells us exactly where he is because Jesus says, in the midst of great tribulation, there will also be great triumph. In the midst of all these wicked, evil things taking place, he has a remnant. He has those he has sealed in Christ through the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. In the midst of all these wicked things happening, the gospel is expanding around the world. And friends, that's why our heart needs to mirror his heart. That's why our plan needs to mirror his plan. And what you see his plan is throughout the scriptures that Christ's plan is for the global proclamation of the gospel. And that's why we as a church here at Bloomfield Baptist we need to be about the business that God's about. That's why we celebrate things like Kentucky Changers. An opportunity to proclaim the gospel here in Kentucky in our own backyard there in Somerset. What a glorious thing that is. 
It's why we celebrate going to the nations, our missionaries that we have in other countries and other continents, our, our team, 18 people, our, our largest team we've ever sent to Poland, or even this Friday to go to Gdansk, Poland, to work alongside Second Baptist of Gdansk to help proclaim the gospel to the nations. And that's a wonderful thing. And we don't just do that out of charity. We just don't do that because, well, that's what Christians should do. We do that because that's the heart of our Lord who says, are things going to get bad? You better believe they're going to get bad. And just when you thought they were bad, they're going to get worse than that. And, and while we may not be killed for the sake of the gospel, people today are being killed for the sake of the gospel. These things are taking place, but in the midst of this, in the midst of this tribulation, Christ says, there will be great triumph. Why? Because He is triumphant. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is where our hope lies. Your marriage needs the gospel. Your marriage needs the gospel because there will be great tribulation when you take two sinful people and put them in union together. And there will be times when you get to a point when you look back and say, well, it's not like it was in the beginning. He's not like he used to be. She's not like she used to be. Things were different there. And what you need in that moment is not pop psychology. What you need in that moment is not five ways to improve your relationship. What you need in that moment, what I need in that moment, is the gospel that says that the gospel is what will be triumphant. That says Christ is able to redeem. Christ is able to take two lost people, redeem them. He's able to take a lost marriage, redeem it. Christ is victor. We need the gospel in parenting. You will, if you've not already, experience great tribulation when it comes to your children. You'll experience very hard times. You'll wonder, Lord, what am I doing? What did I do wrong? If I could go back and do this. And in that moment, you need to understand these are not just by you and your will and your plan and your doing. God is sovereign and you need to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope that the gospel gives us. I think what Christ is giving to the disciples in the midst of this passage, in the midst of this question, notice that he doesn't really directly answer. They want to know, when's it going to happen? That's what we want to know. We want to know, when are you returning, Jesus? Think about that question, for example, for a second. Why do we want to know the answer to that question? It usually followed up by, well, if I knew Jesus was coming back next week, I would do blank. Friends, the gospel tells us that we are to live with the understanding that Jesus is returning. We are to live like that every day. We are to live in light of his return. And that's what we're going to see as we go through these two chapters. It shouldn't be a matter of if I only know. We do know he is returning. We need to live in light of that. But we don't just need to live cowarded by tribulation. We need to live understanding that Christ is triumphant. And lastly, what we see in this passage and what we'll look at briefly is that 
in these last days. We simply need to be faithful and, and be ready. I think Jesus goes back in verse 15 and goes to that first question. There are various interpretations of specifically verses 15 through 21. I think it's directly connected to the question, when will these things take place? Speaking of the destruction of the temple, Jesus goes on to talk about the temple. He goes on to talk about the abomination of desolation that's mentioned in Daniel's prophecy. He goes on to talk about specifically those who are there need to flee. He goes on to specifically talk about how hard it's going to be, how difficult it's going to be, and their warning to run and to flee. And so Jesus here says there's going to be great tribulation between now and the very end. And here, here's an example. Here's an answer to your question. When will these things be? Will the temple that I've just said is going to be destroyed? That's going to happen soon. And we know in the course of church history, it wouldn't be long before it happens. A.D. 70, a great war takes place. The Jerusalem War, we know we've already seen the tension in the Scripture between the Jewish people and the Romans when it comes to Jerusalem and taxes and all that stuff eventually explodes and there's a rebellion, there's a war that takes place and that rebellion is, is just completely done away with in A.D. 70. In the fall of Jerusalem, the temple is destroyed. Jesus said these things would happen. Notice what He says. Don't be alarmed. Don't worry. This isn't the end. The end is coming. And, and with its coming, there's going to be false prophets and, and false priests. There are going to be people who say, here I am, I'm the Messiah. Don't listen to them. Be faithful. Be watchful. My goodness, how, how we have not obeyed this. How, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who call themselves Christians have fallen prey to false prophets and false teachers who said exactly what Jesus says not to believe here. You think, just recently, May 2011, Christ is going to return. It's the, the, the false prophecy of Harold Camping. Many people, some in Baptist churches like ours, were sending checks in. They were believing it. What did He say? He said, well, it happened, but it was invisible. You may have had a Jehovah's Witness come by your door. They probably didn't talk to you a lot about their false prophecies. And yet in 1914, 1918, 1925, 1975, what did they say? Jesus is returning. And so what do they now say about those dates? Well, He returned, we just didn't see it. It was invisible. I mean, how, how do you argue with that? How do you argue with the person who says, well, Jesus came back, but it was just an invisible return? You don't argue, you just point him to the Scripture, which says very clearly, verse 27, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus, in that comment there at the end, He's given a common proverb of the day, which basically was saying, you might not see the corpse, but you're going to look up and see the vultures, and you're going to know a corpse is there because you're going to see the vultures in the sky. You're riding down the interstate, you may not see what's in the woods, you look up in the sky, you know there's something dead in the woods. Why? Because the birds are circling. Jesus is saying, there's not going to be invisibility in His return. It's not going to be something that only the real spiritually discerning are able to understand. It's going to be evident as much as if there was no roof on this building, we were in the midst of a storm and lightning struck. You would see it. You would experience it. You would know it. Christ is saying you don't need to sit down and try to figure this stuff out. He's saying you need to realize there's going to be tribulation 
You need to realize there's going to be triumph. And what is our instruction? We need to be faithful, watchful, ready, and obedient. The question is, are we? Are you, am I, are we living in light of the reality that whether Jesus returns in our lifetime or we die and we stand before Him, are we living in that reality of accountability? Are we living in the reality of judgment? Judgment that the, the Scripture tells us that's, that's going to come. We're, we're going to stand before God. We're going to be judged. That's going to happen one of two ways. We're either going to stand there in our self-righteousness and we're going to say, here's what I did. I wasn't the worst. I didn't kill anybody. My, my good outweighed my bad, so I'm, I'm okay. And we're going to find we're not okay. We're going to find that sin condemns us. And we're going to find we're eternally separated from God. Or we're going to stand before God and, and we're not going to say, well, God, I was a member of this church and I did these things and I prayed this prayer and so I'm good, right? No, we're going to stand before God for those of us redeemed in Christ covered by the blood of Jesus. We're going to stand before Him with an understanding that on that cross, He died for our sin and we received His righteousness. And the Scripture tells us in Revelation, we're all wearing white robes. How are they white? Because they are stained by the blood of Jesus. What, what does that mean? It means that we have been cleansed by His blood. We've not been cleansed by our good deeds. We might have been cleansed by our good intentions. We might have been cleansed by our religious track record. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And we will stand before Him. And there's not going to be a, a showing of our life and what we did right and wrong. We'll simply be standing before Him righteous in Christ. Will you? See, that's ultimately where this text points us. Not towards looking out there for signs and wondering about the end, but looking in here. Where is your heart this Lord's Day? What's the fruit of your life this Lord's Day? Is the fruit of your life reflective of one who is bought and cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Or is the fruit of your life represent one who is trying to be a good person? My prayer is that if that's who you are, that by the grace of God, this is who you would become. Not by your power, but by His. And let's pray to that end. Father, we thank You for Your Word this Lord's Day. And we thank You in the midst of a passage that so many times we trivialize and we try to parse and figure out dates and times and meanings. We thank You there's a, there's a real clear meaning here. The disciples want to know when are these things going to happen. And you don't tell them when the end of the age will be, but you tell them you're going to face tribulation. You tell us we're going to face tribulation, but you tell us at the same time. But there's going to be great triumph. Lord, you remind them of that parable that you shared that the, the wheat's going to grow and the weeds are going to grow, but one day they're going to be divided. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who's, who's among those weeds who's yet to be redeemed in Christ, Lord, that they would confess their sin, that they would repent of it, turn from it, and place their faith fully in Jesus. Lord, I pray for others here who perhaps have done that, but Lord, 
that they've lost their focus, they've lost their hope in the midst of tribulation, they, they've been very alarmed and worried and concerned and, and overwhelmed with anxiety to the point of despair, and they just they don't understand what you're doing, they don't understand what's going on, they're, they're, they're just barely hanging on right now. Father, I pray you would speak into their heart the hope of the gospel, the security of the believer who you have sealed until the day of redemption through your Holy Spirit, the the great promise that the gospel is going to the nations regardless of what tribulation is there. The great hope that one day, no more tears, no more suffering, no more anxiety, worry, depression, just glory. Between this day and that, Lord, we pray that we would live in light of that. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.